this morning, so I, um, Brianna had messaged me earlier in the week, hey, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I told her, well, then yesterday, you know, I've been battling this sickness. A couple of days, I actually landed on the couch, which if you know me, for me to land on the couch during the day is like, I have to be like really suffering. And so it was just a rough week physically. <clears throat> and I was quite happy with what I wanted to preach this Sunday. And then yesterday, I, you know, I felt this deep exhaustion of like, I should do some housework but I'm just too tired. I don't want to do housework. And yet it was so beautiful outside that I somehow found the energy because the garden was calling to me. <laughs> and so I found myself in the afternoon. Alexandra was like, why didn't you just stick the hammock out there and lay down in it? I'm like, no, things are coming out of the ground. I want to be in the garden working. And, you know, when you are walking with Jesus, you find different places and different ways of fellowshipping with him, and it never fails. When I step into the garden, the stress comes off of me, and Jesus is there. And I just have a beautiful time in the garden with him. Now, sometimes, I'll confess, and I am getting a little sidetracked here, Sometimes I lose that wonderful feeling like when I was admiring my garlic coming up and I look over and there's a big fat rabbit sitting right there and I know the lettuce is going to be coming and I know what that rabbit's going to do to my lettuce and I'm not feeling very holy and spiritual right then. I'm like, where's Caleb? I need Caleb. I need, you don't want to know what I need from Caleb in that moment. You might report me. <laughs> Caleb makes my rabbits disappear. We'll just say that. In the dead of night, they leave. <laughs> anyway, lots of sidetrack. So I'm in the garden. I'm enjoying the Lord and just praying. And he just begins to speak to me about today. And so I changed the direction that we're going to go. And this is a verse that has been impactful to me for a number, a number of years back back in my early days of ministry. And we're going to actually be in Isaiah 58. And you know this chapter because this is the chapter on what true fasting is on. This is what you fast and this is what it looks like. Here's what it should look like. And so what I want us to do, no, this is not a sermon on fasting. You can relax. I know nobody wants to hear sermons on fasting. However, at the end of this chapter, near the end, there's this passage, verses 11 and 12, that we're going to be looking at today. And it says that the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Praise the Lord. And so today I want to begin by telling you a story. And this is the story of God's people. 
Okay, so I'm going to take you through a quick, quick overview. Are you ready? It all began with this man named Abraham. Yes, all of you can begin to stand up and sing, Father Abraham, right? I know you're all singing, many sons. <laughs> Abraham had the promise from God that he would be the father of many, right? And so he gives birth supernaturally, or should I say his wife does, to their son Isaac, Isaac gives birth to twins, Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob, whose name means deceiver, he wrestles with God. And in the end of that wrestling, God changes his name to Israel, which means wrestles with God. From Jacob, Israel, a nation is born through his 12 sons the 12 tribes of Israel. There's discord among the sons. You remember all the early days. And through the discord and through the famine in the land, they end up in Egypt. This is a great beginning in Egypt. However, by the end, they have become slaves in Egypt. For over 400 years in this land. And now they are slaves and God raises up Moses to deliver them out of the land and to take them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. This was actually supposed to be an 11-day journey. Like 11 days. You know, you go on vacation for 11 days. They were on this journey for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they disbelieved God. They let fear get a hold of them, and they refused to enter the promised land when it was time to enter the promised land. The fear of the giants said, no, we don't want to do that. And the Lord sent them for another round around the wilderness until that generation died off and a new generation was ready to go in. They finally enter through the leadership of Joshua, the promised land. They settle there. They set up a monarchy, right? They, ha they, they make Jerusalem their capital. They build a temple. They have ups and downs, mostly bad kings. Eventually, the kingdom is divided. We have the kingdom of Israel and we have the kingdom of Judah. This ends in captivity. Israel is driven out by the Assyrians, and Judah is taken captive into Babylon for 70 years. All are exiled. The temple in Jerusalem are destroyed. Great ending. Yes, they made it to the promised land. It lasted so long and did so well. What? These are God's special people. And this is just their early history. We know from the very beginning, the enemy has targeted God's people, Israel. They've not had an easy go of it, have they? Even in our day, our recent times, they've not had an easy go of it. Why, though, why were these people exiled from their land back in this day? Because of their disobedience and their idolatry. Their hearts turned from God and they began to worship other gods. 
And so after 70 years, King Cyrus comes into leadership and he grants them permission to return to their land. And you find the story of this in Ezra and Nehemiah, which I, you remember I preached out of Nehemiah a few Sundays ago on intimidation. Prior to the, about 100 years before their captivity, there was a prophet, and his name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet that he was foretelling hundreds of years. Most of our pro- prophetic words concerning the Messiah we find in Isaiah, telling of the coming of Jesus. Isaiah was also prophesying to the nation about their coming time in captivity. And so we also, though, find this is how God works. When he's giving the warning for captivity, hey, you need to turn and change. He always has given this warning if you'll turn your hearts. And with the warning, he always gives the promise of redemption, always. And so this is what we find in Isaiah 58. A hundred years before, over a hundred years before their captivity, he already has said, you are going to be called repairer of the breach. You are going to be called restorer of streets to dwell in. Isn't that powerful? Before they even had to endure the, the consequence of their sin, God was already calling them what they were going to, what they should be. Praise the Lord. And so over a hundred years, he's saying, you will be repairs of the breach. And we see this in the, in the repair and the rebuilding of Ezra and Nehemiah. What are they doing? They are going to that which was completely broken and desolate, and they began to restore. They restored the temple. They restored worship. They restored priesthood. They restored the word of God. They restored the walls of Jerusalem. They took that which was broken down, and they put it together again when they returned. This account of the people of Israel is not much different than the account of Adam and Eve, is it? Adam and Eve had it good. Walking in the garden and talking with God, hanging out in the garden with God, who would come down and walk with them. Until what? They chose wrongly. They chose poorly. They disobeyed. And as a result of the disobedience, sin and death entered the world. And even then, as God is saying, you have now brought this curse upon yourself. Even then, though, he gave the promise of redemption. But wait a minute. There's also, here's what's going to happen to the serpent through the Messiah. Even then, God always, when he gives the warning, he brings the hope and the promise of what will be if we will turn our hearts to God. And so mankind is not different in different times. From the very beginning of Adam and Eve to the Israelites, we ourselves have the same tendencies. And so there's a whole lot of brokenness 
going on here. There's a whole lot of brokenness that came about from Adam and Eve. There's a whole lot of brokenness that came about through Israel and their choices. And it's in the middle of that brokenness that our text comes. And if we go back even to the beginning of that text in Isaiah 58, where it's saying, here's the kind of fast I want, because here's what you're doing. Outwardly, it looks like you want to follow me. Outwardly, you're doing all of these things that make it appear as though you desire me. But I see your heart. I see what you're really doing. You're doing your thing. You're fulfilling your selfish desires. And that's not what I'm looking for. So at the beginning of this chapter, he's walking through all of the areas in their hearts that need to be changed and to be lined up to God. And if you will do that, then your righteousness will shine, it says. Then the Lord, he'll guide you. He'll satisfy you. He'll strengthen you. You'll be a well-watered garden. Then, the, yeah, think of this. Those of you that are in a later generation, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. I read that, and I think about the generations that came before me where moves of God in this region, in this city, in Petersburg, where their generation, they stirred up things and the spirit of God was doing amazing things. I'm saying, I want to be, I want to be one of those that is raising up the foundation that they laid of many generations, repairing the breach, the broken places. And right now, in the day and the age that we live in, and brokenness is everywhere. Brokenness is everywhere. I tell you, it's amazing to me. Work, I've said this before, but working at the shop, you would think, you know, we're just a drive-by coffee shop. It's not like they're coming in and hanging out with us. But in two minutes, Darren just had one of our regulars who tends to cry a lot. He does. But he was crying on on Saturday to Darren, and Darren's like, you need to come to church. You need to get in the presence of Jesus. And in two minutes, we'll have people pouring out all kinds of stuff to us. One of them said, that's because you're a, you're a bartender without the alcohol. <laughs> I said, it was kind of one of those, you're right. We really are. I think some of my staff are like, ah, you missed mom. She was earlier in the day. You got to come earlier for that. <laughs> but what is it? So much brokenness. So many homes broken. So many people broken. And how do you fix the brokenness? How do they know that... The culture we live in is not a Christian culture any longer. They have not heard of Jesus. Children have not heard of Jesus. In this town, children have not heard of Jesus. We do not live in a Christian culture where, you know, it, it's common knowledge what you need to do. N no, there's brokenness and they don't know what to do about it. And so why is there a rise of addictions? Because they're trying to mend a brokenness that they don't know how to fix. 
And so we live in a season in the midst of the brokenness where as a church, we got to get real with them and say, listen, you come. Your brokenness does not make us nervous. Your brokenness does, it, it does not put us off. We know, we know the ultimate repairer of the breach. We know the ultimate restorer of streets to dwell in. We know the one that comes and mends the brokenness. That means that here in my life, in my church, the brokenness has to be healed. That means in my life, I have to address the issues that were addressed in Isaiah 58. Am I doing things God's way? Am I aligning my life to God? Or am I doing it my way? The way I want to do it. And really, this is an issue of lordship is what it comes down to. And it's the struggle that Israel had. It's an issue of lordship. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. He asks the question, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? <laughs> That's an issue of lordship. When you call somebody Lord, that means they have the authority over you and you do what they want, not what you want. And so Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? You've not made me your Lord. You're still doing everything you want to do. You want, it, you want the word of God to be defined by what you want it to be defined by. You want to interpret the scripture by what your desires are. If we continue on in verse 47, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Brokenness or wholeness, it comes down to doing the things that Jesus says to do. It's as simple as this. It's, I say that, but sometimes it's not so simple. Because you have people in your life that aren't making the choice you're making. And that can throw things off, right? It can make life difficult. However, your house, this house, when it has said, Lord, Lord, and then done what Lord, Lord says, you built your house on the rock, which is Jesus. And it is immovable. It is it is solid. There's no breach in it. There's no place where the winds or anything that the enemy wants to bring against you can enter. There's no place for it because you've built it upon Christ the Lord. 
It's when you hear. And I guarantee you, and if you sit with me in a counseling session, and I am not a counselor, all I know to do is to say, here's what the word says. And it has nothing to do with my ability to change your life. It has everything to do with you receiving the word of God and saying yes to it in your life. And the person that sits in that room with me and does that is the person that the next week comes in and the next week, and eventually we don't usually meet anymore. The person that hears me and the word and doesn't Often we cease to meet because they cease to want to hear the word anymore. (laughs) I have to tone back my preaching. (laughs) The choice is really ours if we're going to make him the Lord or not. When we make him the Lord and we begin that here... And then we leave these doors and we enter this world of brokenness. When we've made it right here, then when we leave, we can walk as a, as a repairer and as a restorer. Jesus is the ultimate repairer and restorer. But we are his hands and his feet on this earth. And he has chosen through his hands and his feet to restore brokenness, to repair brokenness. You can look around the world and say, God, why is it such a mess? And when we should be looking here and saying, what am I doing? You know, patients said that. What am I doing? What has God called me to do? to be a repairer and a restorer. This this passage was written to the people of Israel as a whole. As is you, having received the work of the repairer and the restorer, are now givers of that. The grace has been given to you, and now you are a minister of grace. And so when we walk out of this place, you know, we've talked a lot this year about stewardship. We've talked a lot about getting things aligned correctly in our lives. And why is this? Because God's called you to be a repairer and a restorer. If you were at um, our Valentine dinner, you heard our speaker, Kelly, she mentioned this Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces. It's called kintsugi. I think I'm pronouncing it right, kintsugi. So they don't just throw away or try to mend to look perfect pottery that's been broken, but they take the pottery and they, they mend it with gold. And so this piece of pottery becomes, it's almost like a marbleization of gold running through it. And it's actually stronger than it ever was before. 
And I love this visualization because this is, this is what God has done in me. It's the, the, it is the truth of the power of Christ being made perfect in my weaknesses. And, and you've heard me, I preach this again and again and again because it's in our weaknesses, instead of despising them, that we embrace and invite the power and the strength of Christ. And it is as the gold running through, molding and making beautiful and strong. Now, I don't do Japanese pottery. I don't do pottery at all. However, I was in my garden, and so yesterday, I told you all that we were having to chop back the grapevine this year. At the end of every three years, we have to cut the grapevine down at the base so that we get a better harvest, sweeter grapes and more grapes. And so I had I had said, Darren, take the boys out last week, and can you guys cut the vine? But don't throw it in the fire. They were burning some stuff. I said, don't burn it because I want I want to use. I mean, the grapevines had gone crazy this year. They were like invading my whole garden. I said, I want to use those. You know, there they are. I want to use them to create an arch over one of my gates. And so yesterday, he had cut them, but they were still hanging on. The, they grow on our back fence. <clears throat> and so yesterday, I began pulling them, first of all, off of the fence. Now, let me just say, this was not an easy task, man. Those things were whipping at my face. It was a little violent getting in the midst of it. And even this tangle, there's like a ton of individual vines all entwined in this mass of chaos. And so most of my time spent was like detangling. I had pieces of the vine all over my yard trying to keep it separate so that I could then do something with this. And so right now it looks like this horrifying, chaotic mess that should just go, there was a fire going yesterday, later, that should just go into that fire pit. but I wanted to create something beautiful. And the whole time I'm like, I don't know, you know, I watch YouTubers do cool stuff like this, but I don't think, I don't know if I have the ability to do it. But I was determined, and so I don't know if it will stand this summer, but Caleb, go ahead. And, and I did manage to make an arch with it over my gate there that I have a clematis that grows that I'm wanting it to grow up and over that arch. We'll see if it was it was a, <laughs> it was a little shaky. However, this is the what God calls us to do: to take what looks like garbage, that looks like should go to the burn pile, that that looks like it's a big tangled mess of nothingness, and to get in and get messy with it. Doing the work of being a repairer and a restorer is messy work. When you enter into the lives of broken people, it is hard work. It is messy work. You will get wounded. Oh, I can't even tell you. You will get wounded. But when your eyes are on the truth that there is an enemy that is causing this person to do this and to react this way, man, you enter into it. You jump in, all in, and nothing becomes personal. This is about taking a person out of brokenness and seeing restoration and wholeness come. And they might slash at you, and their messiness might get on you, and their attitudes might drive you crazy. 
when you, in the end, have this life that has been restored by Jesus and is no longer in brokenness, but is a testimony to our redeeming Savior. Man, bring on the chaos. Bring on the woundedness. Bring it all, messiness, all on. I was getting dirty. I have wounds. I was bleeding. I had welts. But you know what? In the end, it was, you know, it's like giving childbirth, right? In the end, you're not thinking about that. You're just, look at that beautiful thing. You got pictures you're showing everybody, right? That's how it is. And so we enter in when we, when, when it says God has called you to be a repairer and a restorer. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think about, Back in, in the Civil War days, how many of you have watched Gone with the Wind, right? And the Southern armies, the, the Southern gentlemen, what did they want to do? They go to war. Yes, we're going to, in you know, one week, we're going to, like, take care of those Northerners. And, and the zeal and the excitement. When you hear this, God has called you to be a repairer and a restorer. There's something in you that rises up, yet, yeah, and that should. Let me just say that when Jesus went to the cross, it was not a pretty thing. The work of being a repairer and a restorer can be a a bloody battle, really. But you fix your eyes on the prize. You fix your eyes on the prize. And when Nehemiah was rebuilding those walls, they were... What were they doing? They were working night and day. They were carrying a weapon and they were carrying a tool because the enemy was out to get them at every turn. And until that wall was completed, they were not sleeping. It was a tough time. It was not a, yes, we're repairers of the wall. Yes, we're fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied. We are repairers of the wall. No, they were battling fear. They were battling intimidation. But in the end, what did they do? They marched themselves around the top of that wall, giving thanks to God so that all across the land could hear the victory of the Israelites because they were repairers of the wall. The word of the Lord for them came true. And the answer for brokenness is peace. The shalom of the Lord takes all of the broken pieces and puts them together. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus through you can do that. Praise the Lord. And so I find it interesting that at the beginning of of Isaiah 58, when, when, when God is saying, if you would do things my way, and, and people have these issues of lordship because they think God just wants to make them miserable, and, and, and you're just not getting who God is. When, when we do it God's way, and he brings us into blessing and into peace and into joy and fulfillment, and Isaiah 58, there's this list here of things that God says, this is what I want to happen, 
I want to loose bonds of wickedness. I want to undo the bands of the yoke. I want to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. I want you to divide your bread with the hungry. I want you to bring the homeless poor into the house. I want you to cover the naked. Listen, when you start doing these things, Christianity is a lot of fun. It really is. When you begin to see lives being transformed and bonds, bondages coming off of them and brokenness restored, man, you talk about addiction, that's addicting. When I begin to see, wow, lives transformed and changed, that's powerful. So I find it interesting that this thing that God set out, this is what I want your life to look like in Isaiah 58, if you would do it my way. I find it interesting that it's very similar to the anointing that Jesus read in the temple that was the fulfillment of his anointing. And, and in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus gets up and reads from the scroll, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." This is what was on Jesus to do. And we then, as his disciple, carry the same call to go and to do. You have been called to be a repairer of the breach, a restorer of the streets to dwell in. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Now therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is the ultimate restoration that he has brought us into. We are being we are we are being restored in relationship to the Father and with one another. We are in ourselves being built together. The ruined places no longer exist. The desolate places no longer exist because now you are a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Bill Johnson said this. I was listening to him preach. And, and he, I, he, he teaches this, that the wilderness that the Israelites traveled in, right, getting to the promised land, they lived from miracle to miracle, supernatural provision to supernatural provision, right? And, and so he says the wilderness was the place for supernatural, for survival. If they were going to survive the promised land, they had to have the supernatural. There was no other way. The promised land is a marriage of the natural and the supernatural for advancement. I thought that was so good because God wants you to do more than just survive. 
He wants you to advance. And so often we're, we're asking for a supernatural intervention because we're desperate and everything is falling apart. God has called you to more than that, though. He's called you to advancement. He's called you to live out the principles of the word. So when you partner up following the word of God in your life and supernatural provision, let me tell you, there's no stopping that advancement. That's the place where we're moving forward. Not for our advancement, let's be clear, but because we're advancing into places of brokenness. We're saying, listen, God has something more for you. He has a place of healing and restoration for your family. And, and listen, you may need it for your family. You may need it for you. You may know coworkers that need it. But there is something right now that is happening in the land. And it's popping up everywhere. Different colleges. The Spirit of God. It, it made me think of, of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. When they first enter Narnia. And there's a rumor of Aslan in the land. And it says, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. And, and they haven't seen him yet, but there's movement that's happening that is, this is different. There's a different feel going on. And, and we are at that place right now. There, the Spirit of God is on the move right now. And it's fascinating because it's not one person leading it. It's not one church leading it. But the Spirit of God is popping up all over the land. And it's happening in the midst of such brokenness that we have not seen before in lives and in homes and families. Such brokenness. And in the midst of the brokenness, it's like a breeding ground for the Holy Spirit to begin to break out. And I don't know about you, but I was made for more than just life on this earth. I was made to do what patients said, advance the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. Why? Because there are broken people that need the kingdom. Why? Because there are broken people that need a repairer and a restorer to come alongside them and say, hey, I know the one that you need. Hey, there's this one called Jesus. Let me tell you what he did in my life. Let me tell you how he restored my family. Let me tell you how he restored my finances or my body. Let me tell you about this one, Jesus. <laughs> you are his hands and his feet. And we are living in a day when the hands and the feet have to be in action. It's not a time for the hands and the feet to be at rest, right? It's the time she wanted me to hang out at rest in my hammock, but spring's not the time for that. Uh, even the one moment in the garden, and I'm like, oh man, I see this happening. I see this happening. I need to do this. It's not a season for the hands and the feet to be relaxing. We have all of eternity, friend, all of eternity. Right now, he has put his name upon you. And it is restore, and it is repair. And let it begin first here, and in your home, 
and then let it begin to overflow wherever you go. We have students in Christian school and secular school. There's brokenness in both places. God's called you to be repairers of the breach. He's called you to be restorer of the streets. He's called you to lead the pathway of peace for your students. Some of you are in colleges. We got some that are doing social work, that are living and seeing on the front lines the brokenness of people. We've got some here that work in hospitals. We got some here that teach on college campuses. And so, Shelly, would you say that ISU, there is a whole lot of room for a repairer to come in and mend brokenness? Yes, so much. We need to be praying for Shelly on that college campus. It is a whole nother world from when you went to college, let me tell you. <laughs> and so she needs to have a special anointing in this day of having to be politically correct Yet knowing these students, they need to know the repairer and the restorer, right? It takes a unique anointing to do that from the Lord. And so I'm going to ask if the worship team would come today. You see, I'm finishing up here at 1130. That's because there are some of you here that need to respond to this. Whether it is in your personal life, and you've said, I need the restorer to come to my life. I need the repair. I need Jesus to come and mend my life. I don't know about everybody else out there. I just know I need him to come and restore my life. He can do that, and he's longing to do that. Whether you are somebody that is saying, I know in my world there's a lot of broken people, and I have not stepped up to the call to the anointing that God has put on me to be a restorer and a repairer. It's not an anointing that's just upon me or upon Darren, upon our credentialed pastors here in this room, upon our elders. It, it is something that he's put on each one of us. Each one of us. Your name is repairer of the breach. Your name is restorer of the streets. And he's waiting for you to step up and into that name. To step out of the other names you have gone by, what other names you've called yourself, what other names people have called you, whatever identity you have walked in, that has not been that which God has given. It's time to shed those and to stand up into the place of being that which he has called you. And if you are a part of the sons and daughters of God, that makes you a repairer and a restorer. And so as the team leads us, I want you just to stand with me for a moment. Jesus. We got to know the times that we live in. We have to see them. We have to respond in a correct way. And it's not a time for us to draw back. When Nehemiah saw the walls, he had great sorrow and he cried and he grieved. But he didn't draw back in despair 
And you can look at our culture, you can look at society, and you can be overwhelmed by the brokenness, and you can draw back in sadness and grief and say, well, that's just too bad. Or you can do as Nehemiah did and step up, step up and step in and fulfill the name that God has put upon you. For some of you, you are the first generation in your family to come to God. And you are changing, you are repairing the breach of your family. There are people that God is gonna send to you. And initially they are going to be people that you feel like don't like you, that you feel a clash with, but God is sending them to you so that you can be a repairer and a restorer over them. But you gotta step up and step into that name that he's given to you. <laughs> you gotta believe with the word of God. And it isn't about whether you feel it or believe it. It's about what God says. And if God says that you are, then you say, yes, Lord. You said that's who I am, so that's who I am. Yes, Lord. You're Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.